0: For new podcasters really identifying what it is that is driving you to do it, if there's something out there that you want to hear that you're not hearing, I think that's a great starting point.
1: Welcome to Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. On this episode, Good Muslim, Bad Muslim, the hashtag that became an instant hit podcast.
0: The popular media discourse around Muslim, the experience of being Muslim, does feel so either academic or political in nature that we forget the experience of the individuals living
1: it. Plus, four men mansplaining feminism on the radio in 1972.
2: I guess we're all in a way, you know, somewhat nervous about doing this.
1: My name is Eric Klein. My co-host, Paul Reismandel, will be back next week. On the show today, we're rebroadcasting an interview, our interview with Zara Nurbash, the host of the podcast "Good Muslim, Bad Muslim," a project uh, that she co-hosts with Taz Ahmed. "Good Muslim, Bad Muslim" was an instant hit, and that is interesting in and of itself. It's a show in which two young women, Taz and Zara, uh, talk about their lives, which is uh, as diverse and vast as one might imagine a life could possibly be in the 21st century, uh, they're women, they're young, they're Americans, and they're also Muslim, and uh, they they are friends, and that's their podcast. So very simple, and yet, uh, as you'll find out if, when you look at the interview, hadn't been done before, and so uh, they really hit the ground running with a uh, significant fan base and have kept it going. Zara and I spoke in 2015, in October 2015, for the episode that we're about to hear, and uh, this interview with Zara was a great opportunity to gather advice um, for you, you the listener, if you're planning to launch a podcast anytime in the future, um, because while you can never wind back the clock to 2015 and be the first pair of millennial Muslim women uh, with their very own podcast, you can certainly learn from the approach that Zara and Taz took as they started on their uh, podcast project, they really approached it. Um, they really, they really uh, took on the project uh, in a way that that helped them succeed. But first, we're going to hear from Radio Survivors' own Matthew Lassar.
3: This is Matthew Lassar with Lassar's Letter on Radio History. And if you've been following my Radio Survivor posts, you know that I love songs about radio. This is
2: rock and roll radio. Come on, let's rock and roll with the remote.
3: are so many wonderful songs about radio. We keep making lists of them, but they never end. Here's Jonathan Richman.
4: One, two, three, four, five, six. Run, 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 run. Going faster miles an hour. Going to drive faster, stop and chop. With the radio on.
3: There's Elvis Costello. I there's Donna Summer.
4: Someone found the lady who wrote me on the radio. It's Lou Reed.
3: hits keep coming. Somebody stop me. Somebody actually did, actually. They asked me what I thought was the first popular song about radio. And at first, I didn't know. But now I think I've found it. It's this.
4: Little broken heart Daddy's knee, listening to the radio, but his heart was aching so, seems the angel took his mammy, and he wondered why he died, while his daddy fell asleep, Sammy then did creep to the radio and cried.
3: The Victor Company recorded Mr. Radio Man in January of 1924. It's a story of a broken-hearted little boy whose mother dies, and he thinks that somehow the announcer on his radio receiver can get in touch with her up in heaven.
4: Mr. Radio Man, tell my mammy to come back home. Won't you do what you can?
3: piece has the typical ensemble we associate with an old acoustic setup, a little band of the mid-range instruments that engineers back then preferred for records, a tenor, an English horn, a violin, and a flute, all crowded up to a big acoustic horn. You may think the subject was a little maudlin, but it actually borrowed the theme from even older Gilded Age songs about children calling the telephone company or the telegraph exchange to communicate with deceased parents. These tunes about using electronic media to reach the hereafter were extraordinarily popular. No surprise that an updated version about radio came along in the 1920s.
4: And the reason I'm sighing, crying, I'm all alone, Mr. Radio Man. Tell my mammy to
3: Thank the Library of Congress, by the way, for the recovery of Mr. Radio Man. You should definitely check out the library's national jukebox, which offers this and hundreds of other early recorded tunes online. Could there be an even older song about radio than this? I doubt it, since broadcast radio only came on the scene four years earlier. But you never know. This is Lesar's letter on radio history promising to keep looking. And thanks for listening to the Radio Survivor podcast.
1: Thank you, Matthew, for that contribution. Matthew Lassar is a historian and the author of three books on radio history. He also writes at radiosurvivor.com. Uh, this classic installment that you just heard of his Lassar's Letter on Radio first aired on the podcast Radio Survivor back in the early double-digit days of the program. I think it was episode number 17. Uh, since that time, much more—we're uh, on episode 108, and uh, some sometime in the— three-digit numbers here, uh, Matthew has started working on a new show that airs on Mixcloud, which is an audio streaming platform where, much like a regular old terrestrial radio, all of the music licensing fees are completely uh, taken care of, which um, makes it a unique uh, place on the internet since, uh, well, it's complicated, but you can't just throw up a, a DJ set on any old... Uh, m- podcasting platform without uh, without paying the licensing for the music. And Mixcloud is, uh, is paying those licensing fees and uh, allowing podcasters and radio people to create things. And uh, Matthew has created a show called Hybrid Highbrow, and it's part of the Radio Survivor Mixcloud offerings there. And if you'd like to hear more uh, of Matthew's DJing uh, expertise, uh, a radio historian's take on... On music, then there's a link uh, to shows in our show notes up at radiosurvivor.com/podcast. This again is episode number 108. Well, coming up next is the interview with Zara Norbash, host of Good Muslim, Bad Muslim. Uh, you should know that the interview with Zara originally aired on episode 21 back in October of 2015. Since that time, since it's now uh, September of 2017, a lot has changed. I don't have to tell you if you're listening in the present. A lot has changed uh, in these uh, months that have gone by. Especially, though, if you are a podcast in which two millennial women who are Muslim talk about the world and their place in it, um, you should know that... uh, even though when we spoke when this interview was recorded with Zara that uh, they had just recently cracked the double-digit mark, they had recorded their 10th episode, that they're now um, all the way up into their 30s, which uh, they've been going strong at once a month. Notably, uh, episode number 17, which aired in May of 2016, uh, co-hosts Taz and Zara recorded their episode of Good Muslim, Bad Muslim at the White House, uh, where uh, they spoke with young Muslim staffers in the Obama White House. Uh, Taz, Zara's co host, was there to receive an award. And um, that's a little piece of podcast history.
0: I can't believe that I can't, we're in this Yeah, I'm now. actually pretty stunned to be on the microphone right now and looking at the Washington Monument.
1: So, up next, we're rebroadcasting our interview with Zara Norbash, host of the podcast Good Muslim, Bad Muslim, a project she co hosts with Taz Ahmed.
0: Like it, it was just like an okay date but like he asked me why I don't drink and I absolutely hate that question. So I avoided answering it saying like oh I just don't. He's like, "Oh, is it religious?" I was like, <laughs> it, "You know, it kind of started out, but now it goes beyond just religion. Like it's I have a lot of thoughts about why I don't drink." And then he asked me the dreaded question, you know, "How Muslim are you? Are you just Muslim culturally or what?" I was just like What does that even mean? Like, I didn't know how to answer that, mainly because I think it's kind of a stupid question to answer, and I don't like (laughs) answering stupid questions. He asks you, how Muslim are you? Basically, yeah. Ew.
1: Zara Noorbash of Good Muslim, Bad Muslim, thank you for joining us on Radio Survivor.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: So, your podcast has a hashtag in it. Yep. Why?
0: Because we're hella hip. (laughs) Uh, And also just because we started as a hashtag. We were a joke. Um, Hashtag my co-host Taz Ahmed and I would call each other hashtag good Muslim, hashtag bad Muslim, and sometimes hashtag good bad Muslim and uh, claim it, claim the name. And after a while, our followers started asking us like, hey, where's this? podcast, you know, I was looking for it and we were like, hmm, maybe we should do one.
1: Ah, so that's your Twitter audience pushed you to record podcasts together.
0: Yeah, and it's where a lot of our conversations between podcasts take place and inspire uh, topics.
1: That's really lucky. I really like yeah. that. Um, so you and Taz both both um, built up a Twitter audience uh, well in advance of, of taking to the to the radio.
0: Yeah, actually almost two years in advance.
1: Okay. So maybe I I, I wanted to talk about good Muslim, bad Muslim, but first I just want to talk about like a social media strategy, if you don't mind. Uh, Sure. What do you think? How did you build up an audience that exists that you can actually engage with?
0: Well, I know for me, I began um, by sort of following people that I admired that would talk back to me. (laughs) And uh, when big events hit that had to do with Muslims, which is frequent, then, you know, I would hop on, and Twitter has always been a great place for me because I'm a comedian, and there's a character limit, and so you have to be fast, and you have to be punchy. And so it was a great place for me to try material, work on what it is that I really want to say. And so with every new round, you know, Benghazi happened, the Boston Marathon happened, um, 9-11 anniversaries would come up, hate crimes would occur. And every time there was always this anti-Islamic rhetoric that would sneak in unchecked that I would have fun poking fun at. And, uh, you know, you get retweeted um, and, seen by various people and it sort of spreads from there so i think you know twitter with its limitations really forced me to hone in on my voice and what it was specifically that i wanted and needed to say
1: that's really exciting to me i i like um i'm jealous so you 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 go from the twitter world uh to a podcasting world Uh, what changed
0: A lot. Um, I think somebody recently, I just did a sort of Skype in conversation with SF state uh, for a class at SF state. And they had actually gotten our podcast on their syllabus, which has been a fun experience. Um, You know, because it is so topical, um, the conversation on what is a good Muslim, what is a bad Muslim, what is a very, very, very bad Muslim. And, uh, One girl was asking about, um, she was asking us about self-policing, and uh, I noticed for myself that before we sort of expanded our audience with the podcast, in a very short amount of time, I was, I definitely felt, you know, bolder, like. And there was like less at stake. You know, I could say whatever it was that I wanted. And now, you know, we've been on BBC, NPR, CBC, uh, you know, Wired Magazine, BuzzFeed. We're all over the place. And now all of a sudden I feel a little bit more like the stakes are a bit higher and I catch myself sort of. Uh, self-policing a little bit more than I used to. And so that's a new thing that we're kind of managing.
1: Ah, that's interesting. So, so you guys hit the ground running then with all that publicity because it's, it's a relatively new new program.
0: Oh man, you will not believe this, but before we recorded our first podcast, literally like just before, we had our Global Nation interview about our podcast.
1: What's, what's Global Nation?
0: Um, It is a show on NPR, uh, distributed by PRI. And on Martin Luther King Day, we did an episode we recorded with them. Wow. And they asked us, you know, so like, what kind of segments do you have? And how does your podcast go? And we were like, well, when we record it, we'll let you know. (laughs) Um, So, and, and in our second episode, we were featured in Mother Jones. Um, by our fifth episode, we'd been on BBC's best of the weekend roundup. And so it really has been a whirlwind. We really did hit the ground running.
1: That's really amazing. And so, and I think we can, uh, put the credit at the, Ooh, I don't want to use the words that other people use, but you, but you guys built your brand on Twitter first, which, which is how you, how you can jump into podcasting with such a, um, with, with both an audience and then uh, this amazing group of media people that also want to know the story.
0: Yeah, I think that a big part of it is that both Taz and I were already public figures ourselves. And we're already um, touring, speaking. You know, she was on many panels. Um, I was already doing stand-up. I had a one-woman show called All Atheists Are Muslim, that I was having fun touring. And um, so we, we both already were doing this work. And when we would get together, we always were like, God, I wish that the conversations that we have were the kinds of conversations I would hear more of. We should, you know, have those conversations because people want it. Um, there's really a need for it. And we in our research to find a model really couldn't find one for what it was that we wanted to do. And so I think that for new podcasters really identifying what it is that is driving you to do it, you know, like uh, if there's something out there that you want to hear that you're not hearing, I think that's a great starting point in terms of understanding what your brand is and what you want to do.
1: That's great. So it's funny because you said your research defined a model. And what I'm hearing on your show uh, reminds me of lots of other podcasts that are working really well because it's um, two friends who want to be talking to each other and are benefiting from, the idea of, from setting up microphones so that their conversation that they'd probably be having anyway can be shared publicly, and of course you're, filled, you know, and that's that's actually there's lots of podcasts that are doing that and doing it really well. But what's maybe uh, what was missing for you was um, who who those two friends are.
0: Yeah, you know, I love that you point that out because that is exactly the model, and I think what was sort of blindsiding us when we were seeking out that model is that these conversations are also political. And at the same time, when we have these conversations, it's not politics focused. It's not heavy handed. It's really about our personal experiences of them. And so I think there's this way that uh, the popular media discourse around Muslim, the experience of being Muslim does feel so, either academic or political in nature that we forget the experience of the individuals you know living it right um so much so that even we were like Does, is this out there you know is somebody doing this
1: right especially with um not not light not light like you're not taking things seriously but light like uh it's not always academic and it's not always um newsy. It's like, it's people. So I think we should define for the listeners, in in case they haven't heard your show before, the, what I think I understand about the title of the podcast, hashtag, uh, good Muslim, bad Muslim, although you don't say the hashtag when you say the, say the, (laughs) say the title of the podcast. Um, Here, I'll, I'll throw a definition out there, and you can, you can swat it away or accept it. It's that like, in the mainstream although what a what a terrible way to talk about the world but on tv <laughs> on tv there's the good muslims and the bad muslims and the good ones are uh less religious or even even entirely secular and the bad ones are super religious and violent and then but you guys were experiencing in your own lives sort of a weird uh, opposite of that where where being a good muslim meant that you were being observant of the religious practices that your family uh, had and being a bad Muslim meant that you were being, uh, that you were drinking or eating pizza.
0: (laughs) Yeah. uh, I think they're, you know, getting even more specific the ways that I um, found myself on the spectrum of either being a good Muslim or a bad Muslim is that I openly identify as the pork-eating, alcohol-drinking, premarital-sex-having kind of Muslim, Uh, which is not my co-host. You know, my co-host doesn't eat pork. She doesn't drink.
1: No. One of of my smiles when I listen to your show is just knowing that she is, like, kind of squirming inside whenever you are open about those things.
0: Yeah, and I love that we disagree. And the more that we... Do the podcast you know we started doing it just as two friends who were like you know we see eye to eye on a lot of things and the more we do the podcast the more we're like wow we are so different and that's been a really fun and i think important discovery
1: yeah yeah a a, a relationship that's already that was already uh a relationship that already existed but still um deepens and grows on a podcast. It's such a fun. I really that's my advice for people now is if you have if you have this desire to podcast, you really want to find somebody that you want to be closer friends with and uh and then record all your conversations, but then, you know, have conversations that are a little bit uh more significant than just the TV you watched. Although you guys do that, you guys do that all the time in it and because of your point of view, it's um it's a lot more interesting than if I was talking about the TV I watched.
0: Yeah, I think that the um, it can't be said enough how much the anti-Islamic rhetoric, especially with the 2016 Republican campaign, uh, affects the individual livelihood of so many Muslims. And so, for us to be able to have a a a, a space, a a place to come to um, every month, every other week. And sort of hash that out and digest it and understand it as two women who do this for a living, you know, individually as memoirists. For me, as a comedian. For Taz, as a um, activist and uh, speaker, um, voting rights activist. Um, it it really, I think, affords other people the opportunity to be heard in a similar sense.
1: Yeah, and so you guys—you guys only pod. You don't have a regular schedule for your podcast. You're not doing it every week. You're not doing it every other week necessarily.
0: Right now, we're once a month. Uh, we try to post mid month, and you know our producer uh, Quincy Sarah Smith offered to uh, you know he volunteered to help us with uh, tech, because we are not in the same location. Uh, I'm frequently either on tour or in San Francisco based in San Francisco, and taz is in l a and so part of it is just you know, and you're so familiar with this, how much easier it's become to podcast uh remotely
1: yeah yeah um, just bring your just bring your iphone or your uh your Macbook
0: yeah, and so he's really made it so that we can kind of um you know make sure our sound is cool and uh put it, piece our segments together and uh sort of shepherded us through that and the more we do it the more we're sort of veering toward a bi-weekly schedule
1: yeah cuz from what i've been told that's uh that y- I, although it's i you could tell me uh, it, it seems that a, a more regular schedule that's predictable and uh more often than once a month uh helps keep the audience engaged
0: yeah that's absolutely true i think we are an odd exception simply because of the kinds of conversations we're having and also that muslims are just always in the news <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, so, I, well, and i wonder and i wonder if it helps that you're still a uh, uh, minute to minute connected with an audience via twitter that yeah might, i wonder if that helps so that you know you still you know that when you tweet out the link to the next episode um people will be excited about it.
0: Yeah, and a lot of the comments that we get, that we incorporate.
1: How do you go about that?
0: Um, like, if we, let's see, we get a lot of, um, we, we did get a lot of responses to our episode on shame. We had an episode called Shame on You that we put out after uh, six months into our podcasting about. Uh, we were receiving a lot of, Um, comments on Reddit that were like, these are not Muslim women. You know, they don't represent me and shame on them. How dare they flaunt Mm -hmm. their sins? Conflating a lot of, you know, what is my vice and not Taz's. (laughs) Um, She's
1: guilty by association. By
0: association, exactly. And so we got a lot of fan mail uh, that was coming in at the same time that was like, thank you so much for having these conversations. I really needed to hear this. I'm struggling telling my parents that I'm gay or I'm struggling that I'm telling my parents that I am with a man who's not Muslim or who is Muslim, but not of our same culture. And so it was interesting that at the same time that we had this fan mail pouring in. Uh, on Reddit, we would see like you know these other comments that were like shame on them, shame on them, and it was just so clear how marginalizing shame is, how damaging and destructive it is, and uh, you know so we incorporated that as one of our topics
1: mm-hmm. and so you read you read those comments,
0: yeah, uh, most of the time we paraphrase because we are a half hour show and we have a lot to discuss uh, <laughs> once a month means a whole lot of muslim. Yeah. To to sum up, it's been quite active um muslims in the media.
1: Right. And so you guys have how many do you have? You have about 12 episodes up, right?
0: We're on our 10th episode. Right. We'll be recording our 11th episode soon. We started in January, so once a month we've been putting out each episode.
1: So do you do you guys see yourselves moving forward at the same sort of rhythm and and doing the same stuff or do you have Uh, new stuff in mind
0: yeah we're going to be out there more often we're aiming for a bi-weekly format um at some point weekly uh it'll change our segments uh in some sense we'll have more time to sort of dive into conversation so I'm really excited for where we're headed
1: and how how do you how do you make that adjustment to do twice as much podcasting
0: Good question. Uh, <laughs> I I think it'll have to change some of our format. Uh, it, it allows us to go deeper into conversations right now. I guess to share with um, your listeners, we have segments that are, you know, the big headlines, what's in the news. And then we have Creeping Sharia as a segment. Uh, we have fatwas. We have good Muslim awards that we give out. We have awkward Ask a Muslim moments, and each of those little segments are about like three minutes long. I think going biweekly affords us the time to incorporate more interviews, to have guests on as interviews. We've had a lot of people offer up their time to um, join us on the podcast, Uh but because of the limitations of our software, we weren't able to in the beginning, and now we kind of have the prowess and ability to do that. So that's been really exciting.
1: That's great. I, I would look forward to hearing, hearing that change on your air. Well, uh, Zara Norbash, thank you so much for joining us on radio survivor today. I really enjoyed it.
0: Thank you so much for having us keep on surviving. Yeah.
5: Thanks Zara. We will keep surviving. And, uh, I want to thank you, Eric, for doing an interview. I'm such a pleasure the other day, uh, I participated in a uh, Twitter chat put hmm. on by uh, Media Shift, and they have a little they, they have a hashtag called uh, Ed Shift for Education Shift. So this was a, a Twitter chat about uh, podcasting and education, but being successful in podcasting. And oh. I know Zara had been invited, and she sent me an email. She goes, "Hey, I saw that we were both invited to this thing. You're going to have me on the podcast." But there are several things that she mentioned in the interview that I think are really worth uh, highlighting. Uh, with regard to starting uh, their podcast, Good Muslim, Bad Muslim, because it really st- stood out to me that they did some things right, mm-hmm. and even if they were new podcasters, they seem to be approaching podcasting like you should approach kind of any new venture, right? That there's in some ways there's nothing particularly special about podcasting. She said they did research. Yeah. And we're looking at other podcasts and also looking specifically to see, you know, what was being done or not being done, you know, and seeing that, oh, what we want to talk about is not being done. Therefore, there should be a podcast about it. And the fact that they were writers, uh, Zara is a comedian, uh, and she'd been using Twitter, but she'd been using Twitter deliberately, the way she mentioned to you, that she right. had used it to help kind of hone her comedic voice to be funny and concise and interesting and entertaining in the space of 140 characters, which I think is what allows her to be successful on the podcast. Because I mean, you know, and then probably the the training as a comedian, having to go up in front of audiences and be funny and keep their attention are skills that she's bringing to the microphone. Mm -hmm. And I just think about all that practice before she'd started the first episode. Kind of allowed them to kind of start out of the gate running.
1: Yeah, they hit the ground running. They
5: hit the ground running. And
1: it's – I mean right now as we go to air, there's only 10 episodes of their show and it's good. It's yeah. a great show.
5: And it's got a lot of press and in part because they, they had a good hashtag. They had a good hook. You know, there's no accounting for timing Right, Good timing is something often you have no control over. Zeitgeist is something you don't have control over. But they they hit it, they found it, and they seem to be quite willing to take advantage of it, getting these interviews. In fact, having their first interview before the first show was even recorded and released. And I think that that there's a lot to to learn from that. Even if Zara is not holding herself up as a podcasting expert, I think there's a bunch of things – that they got right and that anyone who's thinking about doing a podcast or a radio show, because I think this is equally applicable to somebody who's starting a new show on a college station or a community station or a low power FM uh, station can think about, you know, about really, you know, looking around like, and I think what happens often is we have an idea for something and we can kind of fall in love with the idea. And so we want to do it. And we haven't really thought about, well, how original is the idea? And it's not, I think, necessarily, is my idea so original? But is there someone else doing what I want to do? And how would what I want to do be similar or different? How can I, you know, how can I individualize it? How can I make it more me? Or how can I make it more uh, sort of special? So it's not a matter of, you know, if, if you're on a community radio. Uh, station and you want to do a punk rock show it 's not a matter that you shouldn 't do the punk rock show
1: do what you want to do
5: it 's how would you make this an interesting and different and special punk rock show that if then maybe you were had the opportunity to syndicate it other stations would want to play it not that you ever will necessarily do that but how what do you bring to it that 's different? what are you bringing what What are you adding to the conversation? Why is it that it should be you? or you and your, your partners, or your organizations? Why should you be doing this podcast or this show? Uh, and, and with the emphasis on you, what is it that you're bringing that's special? And I think these are questions that sometimes we don't always ask ourselves. Uh, we think it's a good idea. We get very focused on the idea. Mm-hmm. And, we get, and we forget that there are people behind the microphones. Or if you're playing music, that there's a person picking these songs. And that personality... Is important whether whether you're working under a pseudonym, right? Whether you, you sort of uh, aren't working under your your own name, whether you kind of lead dual lives, you have a day job and you want to be and you have a different DJ identity. That identity, I think, is is important and helps listeners to identify with your show and helps new potential listeners to find it and and perhaps find it interesting. So I, I'm really glad we ha- we you had that interview because I think she shared so many um interesting points about that and and about the process but and, and she sounds very thoughtful about it mm-hmm. this is not something that she's tossing off it sounds like it's deliberate and that she's got a great co-host and it sounds like they have a good producer and and they're focused on it and you know there's no guarantees of course that all that work will necessarily mean you're going to gather up a big audience, right. and and be you know a top of the iTunes charts. But I think that that helps you to move in that direction.
1: I have other advice for podcasters or uh, aspirational podcasters, and uh, it's something that's been on my mind a lot lately. And yes, you want to succeed and have a huge audience. Although I'm sure there's. There's another side to that coin, but but we'll assume that you really do want to succeed and have a huge audience. I still would encourage everybody who is choosing to podcast these days that you also want to make sure that when your project doesn't have that audience, is it still of value to you? So have conversations with people that you want to have conversations with and be your best audience. So for Radio Survivor, for instance, like I still, I get things every time I re-listen to an episode, uh, I'm relearning something that, uh, that I can build on. Like I am, I am building an expertise in, uh, which is surprising. I'm not sure I knew that this was what was about to happen, uh, 21 episodes ago, 21 weeks ago that I was going to get, uh, better at understanding podcasts. That was not my intention, um, so yeah, do something that you're fascinated by, because in the end, if uh, if you have less than a thousand listeners, if you have less than a hundred listeners, you still might uh, really benefit from the work. And so uh, Zara and Taz, um, they don't have that problem, but uh, but if they did, they I imagine they would still uh, be thankful uh, for the chance to BS with each other and get things off their chest which was i which is what was happening prior to them recording themselves was they had a lot to talk about and so yeah that's that's the other thing i like
5: i think that's an important point um, i think about blogging in that way too right uh, john anderson who's been a guest on our program who runs diymedia.net and who is a professor of journalism at uh, brooklyn college he's been running diymedia.net for well over a decade and he's told me on occasion that he often just looks at it sort of like his public notebook. Yeah. That he's tracking the, – these are things he wants to make sure he's tracking and that he's recording his own thoughts on. And doing it in the blog format means other people benefit from it and other people can share in it because he thinks the things that he's interested in are important. And and so it has – so even if he doesn't have a huge listeners, a readership, Nevertheless, there's a value to himself on doing it. And then, you know, I mean, I know John because he's a blogger. That's how we met. So uh, I think other people are really very much uh, benefiting from it. And if we take this into podcasting and let's say maybe you are a – on your show, you do interviews. It's this great opportunity to meet other interesting people and talk with them and maybe gives you that one extra leg up. Or gives other people that extra incentive to talk with you because it will be shared, because it will be recorded, because it is a podcast. This, these are things that are being framed in my mind as we've been doing this, mm-hmm. as as podcasting and the practice of has been a central topic and as we try to also merge it with the practice of radio, in particular community radio and community-focused radio. And, yeah, I see that we're, we're like writing a book as we do this in a lot of ways, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, that we, you could start to pick out these nuggets of wisdom from right. our various guests and from the various discussions yeah. and, and, and put together a right. – um, basically uh, some best practices or hints and tips because I don't think any one of these practices or tips by itself is necessarily essential. You, you mentioned uh, – Zara mentioned they're not, they're not doing the show weekly. Right? They're right. doing the show monthly and that doesn't necessarily seem to be holding them back. It seems as though all the other things they're getting right do are, are so right that mm-hmm. it doesn't seem to be holding them back. Um, so before we wrap this up, I just wanted to uh, let everyone know that they can uh, check out that uh, that Twitter chat. That I mentioned uh, that uh, happened on October twentieth about podcasting because there was a lot of really great nuggets of wisdom from uh, the many really uh, smart and talented people who participated in the Twitter chat. So there is a story at radiosurvivor dot com. I uh, the folks at uh, Media Shift storified it, okay. so they kind of picked out some of the some of the top tweets and put it into a storify thing which i've embedded then in a story at Survivor.com. so we'll have that in the show notes com slash podcast
1: great well i'm not done yet okay i have two more things about this interview that i want Fantastic. to talk to you about and one is twitter and uh hooray for twitter twitter does not make us angry the way facebook does uh good for them although they can uh they can screw that up at any moment uh the people who are trying to make uh, increase the value for the shareholders, who I'm sure are not happy about how Twitter is uh, proceeding compared to Facebook. Ugh. So, and I've you know I know there's these wonderful. So it's a platform conversation, and it's interesting to me because it keeps coming up. So, uh, and yet Twitter functions better. I just have to say that as especially as a um a public place to to talk out loud and to think out loud. Uh, Facebook seems to hide more behind different weird paywalls or uh, curated streams, right? Because you don't get the fire hose, because you get some sort of algorithm picking what you see at any given time, uh, you're not as able to uh, know what's going on. But anyway, still, here we are, uh, depending on a for-profit platform to communicate with our audience when we talk about Twitter and uh, based on my experience in internet land that I have concerns and so it's uh,
5: the gates could close or start to narrow they often at do. any moment
1: yeah I think about Google Reader I don't know if anyone out there knows Google Reader the way I did but it well, was I did. it was a wonderful time and uh, Google uh, built it and we all were there, and then they turned it and off. Google
5: Reader was an RSS reader that was, that worked really well, which allowed you to take in the feeds of lots of other news sites and blogs, yeah. and very easily sort and then read all the various news of the day
1: and share and share. Yes. So it was it was Google's most effective social network other than Gmail which is really their most effective social network. Before the Google+, Plus, Google Reader really had a, a tiny community, but a very significant and happy tiny community of people sharing articles with each other.
5: And they never really – there were no ads on it that I remember. They never really monetized it and, they, and then they just stopped developing it. They just it.
1: turned it off and turned on Google+. Plus. And then I went to Feedly. Oh, I forgot to mention uh, YouTube. Yeah, Google I, has I, YouTube. It's you not social networks.
5: Just anyone, I love Feedly. That's what I use. Yeah, right. As my alternative, but
1: but, but I guess the point is that platforms that we don't own mm-hmm. uh, are suspect, and so uh, it's it's we're we're lucky to live today where uh, hashtag Good Muslim Bad Muslim can be built up as a brand and then turn into a podcast. But um, uh, the indie journalist in me. W- wishes that there was a non for profit corporation uh, platform for this public conversation to take place. Uh, so I just wanted to get that out of my head and onto these, onto, into this microphone. The other thing is, I just said the word brand and it made me feel gross. But we also brought it up in the interview that Zara and Taz um, have very strong personal brands. And, um, the word brand came up at the media conference that we attended uh, last week that we talked about on the last podcast uh, here in Portland, and I hate that people aren't brands. People aren't brands. We don't have
5: a better word. Is is what where I come to on this because I have to talk about it all the time because at least part of my job is B two B marketing, business to business marketing, right. and. We don't have a better word, and I think that that maybe is the problem. I don't have a solution, right? Because by brand, we 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 sort of mean a a a way to capture a number of qualities in a single word or single um, idea or name, right? And it comes out. I mean, it comes out of advertising. It comes out of out of twentieth century corporatism, right? Because yeah. boxes of cereal. Right, exactly. And the thing is, is that uh, we, I, you know, otherwise we just have the words concept, <laughs> we yeah, have, personality. Right, we have the words, right, personality or something. And they don't, they're harder to use because they're also commonly used in a number of other different ways, right? Whereas I think the word brand. It, it's it's fairly specific. It doesn't get used in a lot of different ways. Um, I know, might just un- have to live with it. Unfortunately, huh? it comes from you know it's it comes from the idea of being branded. You know, as in cattle being branded <laughs> with a with a with the hot uh, the hot brand on on their flesh so it, it's it's sort of uh etymology is not necessarily the greatest but you know that's that's capitalism for you <laughs> right
1: well uh i'm just gonna put that out into the world and hopefully i find a solution i bet you someone's trying to figure it out um how do we how do we build our personal brands uh without uh what's the new word commodifying
5: right our humanity there you go that's the question. I think that's the best the question. How do we create this idea of brand, which I think just exists in human brains, uh, and not make it about the commodification of people and objects? I'm not sure what it is. I, I do want to say one more thing about, about the platform question. Because I think that's always a question, you know, how do I do these things on the internet without giving away or losing control of what I do, right? And I think, you know, it's always important in that. It doesn't mean don't use a Facebook or use a Twitter, but don't let that be the only repository of your work. If if you have a blog, do your best to the very least, make sure it's on a platform where you can export all of your entries and that you do so on a regular basis and you have them in a text file somewhere should you ever want to move to a new platform or ever want to make a book or anything like that if you're making a podcast keep those files somewhere and keep lots of copies so you're not relying on your podcast host um you know we use SoundCloud we have no particular problems with SoundCloud, but I've got it set up so that should SoundCloud all of a sudden quit supporting podcasts or just go out of business.
1: Or demand 10 times as
5: much or money. Or demand 10 times as much money, we can jump to a new platform. Uh, same thing with our with our blogging. We have a host. We use WordPress, which is an open source software. So it's free to install and you can host that software anywhere on the internet. We use a particular host that we're pretty happy with, but at any moment, we can take all take our ball and go home and move to someplace else. I think those are key elements. And that the more that you can own your own domain, you know, so it's not you know Radiosurvivor.blockspot.com, which again blogspot and radiosurvivor dot dot. They seem like benign en- entities now or benevolent entities now, but we can't predict the future.
1: They always start off, of course, giving it away for free. Th-
5: I think they start off with great intentions, and then they have to make money, and then this, which yeah. is always, always the problem, isn't it? So, just that's my my little bit of advice there. Uh, own as you know, keep a copy of everything you make to the best of your ability. Own a platform. Don't be afraid to use a, a Twitter or a Facebook. You know, let your own ethics be your guide in in that regard, uh, but don't let those places be the only repository of what you do and to anyone i encourage
1: have your own website at the very least sound advice from my friend Paul Rees Mendel co-host of the Radio Survivor program the podcast and radio show called Radio Survivor which you're listening to right now my name is Eric Klein Paul in uh, the present tense oh i should say that this was a you've been, you've been listening to a rebroadcast of a portion of our episode uh 21 I believe we're on episode 108 uh we we listened to an interview with Zara Norbash the co-host of Good Muslim Bad Muslim and then Paul and I uh had a conversation that I thought uh was worth leaving in it, it was still relevant even though um one of the things that uh is different here in the future in 2017 is that uh, the Good Muslim, Bad Muslim podcast has been going strong. They're up in their uh, 30s now, and they really have settled in on a, uh, you know, there at the end of the interview I noticed that I sort of was grilling Zara as to um, when her plans were to take her monthly podcast uh, to a more regular uh, time frame, which I regret like in the at this point in 2017 uh having a podcast that goes once a month with a significant audience of support and fans and is a project that you can maintain with your with your coworker um i don't it's so funny that i'm still adjusting this brain of mine uh, away from a radio framework towards something brand new. And that's what we do here on this Radio Survivor podcast is we try to get our brains wrapped around the new media world that we are all uh, so clearly um, up to our eyeballs in. And yet, Paul and I and uh, other radio survivors really believe that there are lessons and culture uh, that is worth preserving in in radio land, um, things that were taught, and passed down from people who made radio, especially community radio, uh, that, that we don't want to just um, jettison. We don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And in this metaphor, the baby is this uh, oldest of all mass mediums <laughs> in the United States of America. Radio, it's been around a long, long time, and there's there's a lot to learn from the history of radio and speaking of the history of radio up next on radio survivor we're going to hear again from matthew lasar with his letter on radio uh this one aired uh in that same episode where zara Norbash's interview aired so episode number 21 of course that was back in october of 2015 so the play that matthew references has uh has already uh, flown that bird has flown but still a really fun bit of radio history
3: Andrea Fraser of Performance Art Fame has an interesting show scheduled for the Brava Theater in San Francisco. She's going to reenact the voices of four men talking about feminism on a discussion show at Pacifica Station KPFK in Los Angeles in 1972. Here's an excerpt from the program in question provided by the Pacifica Radio Archives.
2: I I felt uh, for many years extremely pressured financially, for, for one example. I felt that I had to be the breadwinner. I had to bring home the money. I had to take care of the kids. I had to take care of the little wife sitting at home. And uh, I find now a lot of that pressure is ease because I realize that it's a, in an equal relationship, the financial responsibility is equal. I no longer have to feel like uh, I'm, everyone is dependent upon me. I can be human now.
3: That panel was moderated by KPFK's Everett Frost, Director of Theater and Literature. The men on the panel included Jeremy Shapiro, a professor of the California Institute for Arts and author of the essay Men's Liberation. I'm not entirely clear what Fraser is going to do with this audio. Here's an excerpt from one of her performance works titled May I Help You. She's performing this at an art museum.
0: It's a beautiful show, isn't it? You
1: fall in love with
4: the thing that pleases you, and you can't resist it. Okay. who are these people? Where did they get their money? What do they have to do, right? It's a beautiful child. It's a beautiful child. You fall in love with the thing
3: that pleases you, and you can't resist it. A clip from an Andrea Fraser performance piece. Given this presentation, will Fraser view the KPFK program ironically, supportively? postmodernistically? I don't know. But I like the idea of a performance artist reenacting an old community radio show. Check it out at the Brava Theater on October 30th in San Francisco. The event is a benefit for the Pacifica Foundation, Pacifica Radio Archives. This is Matthew Lassar for the Radio Survivor Podcast with one more clip from that 1972 Men on Feminism program. I
2: got support through most of my uh, married life from the people around me telling me I'm a good father, mm. I'm a good husband. Now why are you having trouble with in your relationship with your wife, you know? And they tended to support it because they bought the whole male role and the whole female role. They weren't aware of what was what was real equality in a relationship and how a relationship could grow. We get track to this from you know from the time of delivery. <laughs> mm. I guess we're all in a way, you know, somewhat nervous about doing this. We'd confess this before. We should confess it on the air as well. True. Uh, there are likely to be pauses.
1: <laughs> Thanks for that, Matthew. It makes me smile because uh, in 1972, that was a very courageous thing to do. I'm sure to have three men right talk about feminism on the radio. But it uh, in in 2015, it is nothing but hilarious it's it's like the panels of uh all men uh talking about women in tech right it's like, but but uh and that's one has to wonder if that's if that will be uh mocked uh justifiably or not um during the performance
5: well I mean to be fair. I think they were talking about their experience Great, I of know. feminism. But I nevertheless, know. it's
1: still we live in a moment now where 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 uh, mansplaining is a word. Yeah, a when, very necessary word. Men need to listen, <laughs> like, and
5: yeah, like you and me. <laughs> Sorry,
1: <laughs> I can't. You know, we can't apologize uh, more than twice an episode okay. for being two white men on the radio. Did we apologize already? Yeah. Uh, just, just, just twice an episode. Right, well, feel free to cut this out. <laughs> no, Paul Rees-Mendell, I will not cut it out. Even when the segment airs uh, two years in the future, I'm still leaving it in. My name is Eric Klein. And, um, you know, because you listened today to a radio show of two men uh, talking about radio, why don't you do yourself a favor and check out Good Muslim, Bad Muslim, a show where two women... Uh, talk about uh, their experiences and their th- thoughts and feelings on the culture. You know, I, I keep trying to wrap my brain around uh, trying to describe good Muslim, bad Muslim, and then um, my brain gets mad at me because uh, they do so much and it would be it would be you know it's a typical mistake that is made in media where you take something and then just boil it down to its essence. Uh, possibly even to its stereotyped essence and then explain it uh, because you got to get things described in a sentence or less these days. Um, But I don't want to do that. So just go ahead and and give good Muslim, bad Muslim a listen and you'll see for yourself uh, what they are up to um, in their project. So you've been listening to Radio Survivor. My name is Eric Klein. This has been episode number 108 and you can go on to radiosurvivor.com to check out anything that we um, referenced uh, today will be up in the show notes uh, i paul uh, about 15 minutes earlier in the episode referenced a uh, a 2015 twitter meetup isn't that do do we even have twitter meetups anymore uh, but um, that you can still read about that there on radiosurvivor.com uh we're already becoming history uh, as we go here on episode 108 when we started we thought we were uh we thought we were at the bleeding edge of culture and now already looking backwards at podcasts uh that's that's going to be uh what the 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 second decade of the 21st century is going to be all about grandpa's podcasts um <laughs> you can email us if you have any thoughts or feelings about podcasts that you're going to tell your grandchildren about when you're older Uh, podcast at radiosurvivor.com is our email you can also find us on the Twitters and the Facebook and we'd love to hear from you there thank you so much for listening of course go to radiosurvivor.com for archives of this show and to to read about uh, what else People like Jennifer Waits, Paul Rees Mandel, and Matthew Lassar have been writing about these days, what they care about. Because, you know, even though we are backwards looking today on Radio Survivor, we're always also looking uh, forwards. And I encourage you to check out their work. My name is Eric Klein. Thank you so much for listening.